HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni. I'm the host. It's our 14th season. We're doing a special show today, uh, Colorado and New York IPAs uh, with two brewers. So let's go around the room and you guys introduce yourselves, Jeff and Dave. Hi, I'm Jeff Wenzel. I'm the R&D brewer at Industrial Arts Brewing Company in, in Beacon, New York. And I'm Dave Thibodeau. I'm the uh, president and co- co-founder of Ska Brewing in Durango, Colorado. All right, so I've had you both on before, and uh, not only not only are your beers great, you guys are, are great guests to have on. So we're gonna we're doing a remote online uh, tasting. Jeff's up in the Hudson Valley, New York, and Dave's in the Western Slope of Colorado, and and I they sent me beers as well. So I think we'll start by just each we'll, each brewer will introduce the beer that they have. Uh, we'll start with your IPAs. And um, then we'll get them talking a little bit about, about their beers, and they'll start asking questions of each other like brewers do about hops and everything else. So um, I, I want I cracked the 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 sky, the Modus Hopperandi IPA first. Um, so Dave, why don't you give us your backstory? We we had you on last year. We know a little bit about sky, but the beer and your hops and and, and how you're brewing and uh, cheers. And I'm gonna pour my beer out. <laughs> So. Yeah, I'll throw the caveat out there that I'm Cheers. not the um, I'm not the technical technical brewer uh, by any means. Our we are our, our brewers are are much more skilled than myself. I can tell stories about the beer all day, but um, once we start getting very technical, I'll probably take a step back. But uh, I know quite a bit about our beer. Obviously, um, the brewery itself has been around since 1995, and uh, we just celebrated our 28th anniversary this last month which was fantastic. And I think the, I think the yeah. beer that we sent you was Modus Operandi, which is our flagship IPA. It's a classic West Coast IPA. Um, I guess we could get into at some point maybe what a new West Coast IPA versus a classic mm-hmm. West, Coast, <laughs> West Coast IPA might be. Um, and there's no shortage of opinions there. But um, 
Yeah, and it uh, it's kind of we built our new brewery that we're we we still are currently in in 2008, and we were uh, we were we've been canning beer since 2003. We were the second craft brewery behind Oscar Blues to start putting beer in cans, and we came out with Modus in 2008 after uh, a lot of R and D and a lot of talking about what we wanted to come up with, and we we knew we wanted to come out with. We had only one beer for for five years in cans, and that was just an ESB. And we wanted, we knew we wanted to come out with a a, a nice, dank, hearty West Coast style IPA in both bottles and cans before we switched entirely to cans. And so, two thousand eight was when we were working on that, and uh, we did a lot of R and D with the whole staff, a lot of tasting, a lot of talking about it, and um, after a while developed a recipe and, and I'll admit at the time to me it was it felt overly hoppy and I tried to get our brewers to kind of tone it down a little bit but everybody argued thankfully not to and um you know I guess by today's standards it, it's probably not nearly as as chewy and bitter and piney and resiny as it seemed at the time but to me at the time it was over the top I was clearly wrong because within a year it kind of took over most of our production and uh and has since kind of remained um it's seen a little resurgence right now but it's stayed relatively strong for the past it's now 15 years old so that's kind of the story behind modus and uh yeah it's i would say it's our flagship beer still to this day it, it is our highest selling ipa with our with our hazy ipa not far behind you know i'm so used to jeff i'm so used to drinking New IPAs, hazy IPAs. Why don't you guys tell me what, what what is a classic West Coast IPA? Because the minute I tasted it, you know the piney, the resin. But but explain that to our listeners because I know it when I taste it, but I also haven't had a West Coast IPA in a long time. I mean, yeah, Jeff, I could go ahead. I was gonna say, go ahead and and yeah, I mean, to me, right? Like you said, Dave, we all have a. There's no shortage of opinions. I probably even have two or three myself. Um, but to me, like a classic West Coast IPA is definitely a bit more sea malt, like a lot more caramel malt character, and definitely a little a little more bitter than like a new style West Coast or American IPA. Um, I think we have, in my opinion, I think we have hazy IPAs to thank for the uh, lower bitterness threshold of today's drinker but um yeah just like to me it's like a little more caramel malt so a little more malt presence like roasted malt presence and then uh yeah more piney bitter as compared to like some newer newer age west coast where it's more fruit forward maybe a little less bitter less sea malt uh maybe a little drier what what makes it taste more bitter that's uh, yeah, probably like some early kettle hops. Yeah, exactly. So you actually you actually get those IBUs um, from boiling the hops, and that's where that bitter, the actual bitterness that's in the flavor, comes from. And I mean, a lot of you know, a lot of the hazier IPAs, you might not have any hops actually in the kettle. It might all be later additions in the fermenter or post hot side um, additions. And so I think. You know, I, I agree with Jeff. That's that's pretty much the classic West Coast IPA. Um, 
piney. So a lot of the classic sea hops and uh, true sea malt. Um, but, you know, like Modus, for example, has Cascade, Columbus, Centennial. And you get a lot of not just the citrusy characteristics that a lot of the newer school hops also have, but you get a lot of pine and resiny um, flavor. Not that all classic West Coast IPAs use those sea hops, but they do, I think, for the most part, they are, you do see a little more color a lot of the time with due to the caramel malts. And then you do get the bitterness because of kettle additions um, with the hops. Whereas even a newer school, uh, West Coast IPA, still kind of classic. I don't think you see as much caramel in general. Um, and I don't think you have quite as much bitterness. And you can use some of those newer school hops that are, you know, have often been used in, 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 on the fermenter side. Um, you start using those a little bit in the, in the boil and you get some actual bitterness from hops that, you know, frankly, I've been used to drinking so many hazier IPAs that they're not really truly bitter. You know, it's all an olfactory thing. They, you can smell the hops, but it's not really puckering when you taste it. <clears throat> and, uh, but I think with West Coast, you know, you've got to have some true bitterness there and some true IBUs, uh, whether it's new school or old school. Yeah, I'd agree. We, uh, you know, our company is comprised of some, some folks that have been in the brewing industry for quite a while. And Jeff O'Neill, the owner and founder, started out on the West Coast. So IPA was a big part of his uh his contribution to the beer industry as a whole. Um, and, you know, we've definitely veered closer to the aromatic side of hop usage. Um, our West Coast, or I think we call it American IPA at this point, which is, I don't know, say what you will, kind of semantics, but um, uh, is power tools. And although we have a pretty healthy bitter edi bittering addition, uh, the we still do some double dry hopping in that some mid firm dry hopping so it's kind of you know we're almost where the 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 two worlds of ipa meet uh in some sense and i guess our philosophy transfers to wrench there as well where wrench which is our hazy ipa our flagship pretty much uh i guess it's probably over 70 percent of what we brew um, Ranch is still a, a relatively bitter beer. I mean, we're clocking in at 60 IBUs on that thing. Uh, we're fermenting it out to, to two and a half, 2.6 Play-Doh. So, I mean, the stats are very similar to, uh, to a West coast, but, uh, you know, huge additions of oats and wheat and maybe some earlier dry hops and, uh, the citra mosaic really, really drive that beer. But, uh, that's kind of been, been our philosophy is like taking these new styles and, and putting our traditional uh, experience or approach to them. Yeah. I don't know if I was supposed to jump right into drinking Jeff's beers, but I did. And uh, I'm drinking wrench right now. And I really like, uh, I really like the fact that there actually is some bitterness to this beer. You know, it's a beautiful, hazy beer. And it's got all those aromatics that, that you hope for when you're drinking a hazy. But I I still, being older and a little old school and having a flagship that's kind of West Coast, I, I long for that that actual bitterness in, in the in the flavor. And there's a little there's there's more bitterness than I'm used to, like even with our hazy IPA. 
that's really enjoyable. That's a fantastic beer. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate that. You know, it's it, it's hard for me almost to drink them side by side because they're so different. It's like my palate has to adjust to it. <laughs> you know, not, now the wrench has, has got a cit- some citrus in there too. Uh, what do you are you guys tasting them side by side? Because that was always the hardest thing, is especially with with like certain kind of IPAs. It's like you get you get hooked, you know. Once and once once you're drinking it, it's very hard to go to any other beer. To be honest, I didn't bring any wrench home with me. Um, I probably tasted three or four batches off the FVs today, but uh, <laughs> I'm just drinking the Modus right now. <laughs> uh, I don't know, man. It's really enjoyable, especially considering. You know, maybe it's probably a little different out west, Dave, but out here finding like an old school other than like your Sierra, uh, finding those old school uh, West Coast IPAs are, are a little few and few and far between these days. Um, so it's kind of refreshing, brings me back to the old days of brewing when like this was this was IPA, you know, that Centennial Cascade, a bunch of Seamall. Um yeah, it's kind of a, a nice change of pace for me. <laughs> like Jeff, I kind of messed up too. I got, I got, I shined, I climbed on, and I, <laughs> Armin was there, and we started going through technical stuff, and I never grabbed a modus. So I'm just sitting here with a, with a four pack of wrench. <laughs> but I'm pretty familiar with, I'm go. pretty familiar with modus, and and you know Jeff's right. It's there's um. You don't see a lot of these. I mean, we're definitely in Colorado, and I was curious too if you guys were starting to see that out um, in New York a little more. There's, there's definitely been a bit of a resurgence, and just looking at some of the uh, industry data and scan data, you see kind of some of the classic uh, kind of legacy IPAs are are picking up some steam where they may have been forgotten about for about a decade. It seems like there's maybe we're at maybe the forefront of a little bit of a resurgence of the the classic kind of West Coast IPA, or at least even drop West Coast and just say more legacy IPAs um, in the realm of like Stone IPA, which is a good one that everyone kind of can relate to. It's been around for a while, um, kind of built the built the brewery on that brand. But those type of IPAs are, they are, they're few and far between. And even here at, at Ska, we've kind of built, you know, the second half of the second phase of our life's off of that beer but everything we've been making for the last decade is you know more biotransformation more hazy more uh later edition hops and not so much the classic sea piney you know bitter beers but it's kind of fun um and even myself i'll admit it i hate to but i kind of didn't i haven't drank as much modus the last few years as i always used to and it's just because i've been into newer newer ipas but now it's it's a beer i'm revisiting more and more often it's what i'm drinking every day in the tasting room to be honest with you you know for you guys tell me a few more of the of the old school ipas you each used to drink well jimmy you know i was drinking hurricane kitty since 03 Uh, (laughs) but uh yeah, I mean, that was, you know, the first brewery I worked for. So that was kind of what got me into IPAs. Um, I definitely wasn't 18 when I had my first <laughs> IPA. Uh, but uh, I remember, like, putting it back. And, you know, Tommy at the time was, like, allowing us to have a beer. Or wasn't, whatever, uh, in the cooler. So, you know, he got to look cool. He's letting us drink. 
a beer when we're, you know, maybe not of legal age, uh, which, you know, you have to muscle it back. And then, you know, here we are three years later. I'm like, all I want is bitter beer. And it's like this thing that, you know, we've become, we like acquired a taste for. And now all the kids are demanding less bitter beer. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, I guess that's what we're drinking yeah. now. Uh, but uh, that, that, that's, that's a good way to describe it. It's, it's an acquired taste. It's, it's also, you know, like bitter coffee where you, you, you don't think of it and then you're used to it um, for sure. And that was Keegan, Keegan Ailes up in Kingston, New York and, and uh, respects to Tommy Keegan who passed, but yeah, that's why I um, mentioned it. He, they, you know, no one can come after him now. So. Uh, I'll, let, I'll let, let everyone know he gave us beers at 18. So, um, but yeah. What about, what about you, Dave? Do, do you remember a, a old school West Coast IPA? You, you mentioned yeah, a couple. There's, there's definitely a couple that I, uh, that I, that I have fond, fond memories of that are still around. I mean, racer five. Um, it, well, let's, I mean, in Colorado, Od- Odell's IPA is, that's, that's still a go-to for me that's my that to me is the benchmark of ipa to be honest i, I was in fort collins for a couple of years so odell ipa is kind of like the benchmark of old school uh as you said like legacy yeah that's cool that you say that jeff i was because when i was telling the story of the the beginning of modus we actually everybody in the brewery gathered one day and we had bought every ipa we could get our hands on in durango at the time and we did a blind <laughs> tasting and 100% of, of the people within our brewery chose Odell IPA as their top. And, uh, and then that's where the conversation started about how are we going to make Modus? What do we want to be different? What do we like about that? And that was the beer. They're, they're nothing like each other if you try them side by side. But that was the beer that kind of really, and ever since that day, I've been like, oh, my God, you're right. It's, it's the benchmark. So. Yeah, I'd say Odell. I was bringing up Racer 5 from Bear Republic. And then, of course, like Blind Pig um, from Russian River. And I really like Elevated IPA just south of us from Albuquerque, New Mexico. That's um, our friends at La Cumbre Brewing. That's been around for a little while. It's got a lot of a lot of hops in it. But it's it was one of the earlier 16-ounce cans that was kind of leaning toward a classic IPA that, that – uh, that has kind of shown up in our neck of the woods and it's stuck around. And that's, that's one I really enjoy too, but I'm glad you said that, Jeff, that's fantastic to hear about Odell's because I feel the same way. Yeah. I like, uh, I remember when I, I moved to Colorado, I was all excited. Um, got the, I got a job at new Belgium and, um, super stoked and, you know, they make a bunch of fat tire and whatnot, big, big, huge brewery really great learning experience and i remember i told my jeff o'neill who was i've been friends with since back in ithaca i was like yeah i'm leaving new york going i got a job at new belgium he was like i really like odell i was like oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like a stone's throw away so definitely got to drink a lot of odell ipa because uh at the time new belgium wasn't cranking out voodoo ranger so it was just you know fat tire and triple and yeah uh but uh yeah. so what about what what was the benchmark style if it was odell's if you want to jeff you want to tell us a little bit about 
what the hop profile was or anything? Oh man, I mean, it, I think it's like that classic C hop. Like I think it like the balance of piney and citrus was just spot on, and the mouthfeel was was really well done. They definitely didn't overdo it with sea malt, so like that kind of raisiny character that you get in a lot of the legacy stuff, especially by the time you get it on the shelf uh, out here, um, isn't really there. Uh, just like really dry and crisp and refreshing and, and, and a super smooth mouthfeel. Um, and like, again, that balance between like being able to keep the bitterness, the, the maltiness in check with the bitterness, but not overdoing it. And then also the balance between piney and, and citrus. For me, kind of, kind of did it, and I guess that's just kind of my approach or my preference in beers is just really good balance and not anything being too over the top. Dave, how do you keep a legacy beer going? That's a great question because I think you know we've had conversations over time where you know sales started to dip with. Uh, with Modus and I'll, and I'll be honest here, Durango is kind of a, we kind of live in our own little bubble. Um, the rest of Colorado is kind of a different world than Durango. And when we first started brewing our first beer that we really came out and became our flagship was our, we just called it pinstripe and it was, we called it a red ale, but the time we created it, we only named it that because the color was red, but, uh, it was, uh, <laughs> until we came out with modus um you know that was pretty much our flagship and i'll admit to this day it's still kind of the local beer that everybody drinks so modus took off every in all of our other markets when we came out with it but not really so much in durango and uh durango it's slowly slowly over over actually you know a generation has it started to pick up some steam but there's been times where we've said, you know, we've talked about changing the recipe or the graphics or, you know, some of the marketing around it. And I've, I've held pretty firm to keep it what it's always been um, just because, I, I mean, I guess I'm more of a purist and thinking back when we developed it, I'd, it's, you know, it's near and dear to my heart. And so it's kind of a, I don't really, I never want to change that beer. If we want to brew a slightly different beer or tweak it, let's just brew a different fucking beer you know and uh but i i uh it's a it's a great question because it did dip for a while and now through through no extra effort of our own we're starting to see it you know starting to see it grow again and i think that's pretty organic um but i think as far as keeping a legacy i mean for for a brewery that's been around as long as us that's it's that's a hard question you know when you're out there trying to sell beer in a grocery store and an independent store to a newer consumer, also to your old, um, loyal, older consumers, you know, that may have been with you for 20 plus years. It's not a very easy question to answer. And uh, maybe you could ask some of your future guests the same question and then send me what the answer is, because I don't have a freaking clue. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jeff's almost out of legacy brand now too, but yeah. um, how, you know, Wrench came on. I remember, let's go through the early days at Industrial Arts because it wasn't that long ago. But what did you start with first? It was it was Industrial Was it Tools of the Trade? Yeah, I think Tools was the flagship. And forgive me, uh, you know, Mike McManus and Jeff have more knowledge. I came in a little later, but uh, Tools was the flagship, uh, which was an extra pale ale. 
So just like a dry, crispy, lightly dry hopped, all pill small, all European pill small, um, pale ale. And then Power Tools soon followed it, which is our kind of like ode to West Coast style um, with a, a little, like I said, like a little bit more of a, a modern approach. Um, so yeah, those were the big ones. Uh, and then, you know, metric, which is the pills, uh, the, the German style pills. Uh, and then, uh, and then ranch started as a state of the art beer, like a one-off. And that's when the haze craze kind of took off and, you know, and, you know, you got to give the people what they want. So they, they scaled up production on, on that hazy IPA. And now we're like, got four, now we got what four beers in the wrench family. Uh, and that's between those four beers, it's probably 80, 80% of what we brew. So what, what are the, there's wrench and I'm and, sorry. Yeah. There's wrench, which what, is the hazy IPA. There's pocket wrench, which is the hazy pale ale. Uh, Torque wrench, which is the double hazy double IPA, and then impact wrench, which is the hazy triple. And uh, in torque and impact, we we use some of those old school C hops, and we will use some Chinook and and Centennial uh, in those. And then in in pocket, we're using some things like Comet and Amarillo, um, just because we you know those are the hops we we grew up on and and we loved. So being able to integrate those into into that newer hazy style was was kind of cool. What, what do you guys think? Like this, or this East Coast West Coast used to be a big thing. Um, this is the first show we've done like this in a long time, and and, and it's fun mostly because we're drinking the beers too. <laughs> but um, what, what do you guys think? The East Coast West. Well, in this case, it's Colorado, Colorado, New York. <laughs> I, it's a that's a great question, and I think I, I mean I like to eat up the fact that we're we don't call ourselves Midwest, but we are closer to the middle of the country. Um, and it's I you know I I really have enjoyed. I mean, granted, brought up on on once we started the industry started really kind of getting into hoppier beers. You know, it was a, it was kind of a West Coast thing, but I think once you started to see those early versions of hazy or new England style IPAs, uh, a la heady topper. Um, that was really interesting to me and to see kind of the, the, the growth and the craziness behind it. And I'll be honest, there was of, of a lot of the folks that I know in Colorado kind of, they, they shunned that idea. And, uh, but I think, I mean, we did too, to, to, to whatever extent, but I think, what what was really neat for us was to realize what you could do with hops that created different flavors at different times in your tasting experience. And I think it's without, without having those East coast versions of, of IPAs starting to come out, I don't think we'd have nearly as interesting of a world here in Durango at the brewery as we do. Um, it really opened our eyes to a lot of different things that we could do. And we've been, We've been working on some um, experimental stuff with the college here, Fort Lewis College, and individual hops and biotransformation. And none of that would have been taking place had it not been for really the evolution of hoppier beers um, on the East Coast. 
you know, in a completely different style. So to me, I, I love it. And I love being in the middle of the country and being able to absorb both sides of it. Not that anything's exclusive to one coast or another, but uh, to me, it's like, thank God it happened, you know? And um, there, I think there's a lot for, for the West Coast and the East Coast. And whether you want to get territorial about it or not, there's a lot for, for the rest of the country to learn just simply because it happened. And so I'm forever grateful. And I, I hope shit like this still, you know, continues to happen, whatever it might be in the future. Yeah. Dave, what's biotransformation? Um, okay, once again, I'm not the technical brewer, but but really I think in a sense, and Jeff, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but in a, it really there's there's a lot of different flavor components and 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 attributes that can that you can get at with hops if you all if you include the interaction with yeast. So if you're if you're adding hops at a certain time, like during the fermentation process, for example, depending on the, the exact timing, you can the, the interaction between the yeast and the hops itself might create some flavors that uh I mean in a nutshell that that you might not get from the hops alone, you might not recognize uh from late or even whirlpool addictive additions from hops that are more aromatic and also stuff that you don't get from the bearing side of hops, but you can get some flavor attributes that won't come about any other way. So even when you're familiar with um, certain flavors or, or profiles of certain hops, that can change depending on its interaction with the yeast. And that's a lot of new, newer hopping techniques that are coming to light right now. And I think that's where you get a lot of the really cool like fruity stone fruit flavors and flavors that you really can't get through adding whatever hop it might be on the hot side or even late addition or even dry hopping. It's different when you're involving yeast. Is that, is that a good summary, Jeff? Yeah, I think that definitely <laughs> covers, covers the gist of it. Um, you know, I think some of the brewers out, out here out West really kind of, hit this thing without even knowing it just by adding hops mid fermentation and almost really studying like what the sun, like the science behind it and the, and the biochemical reactions behind uh mid firm dry hopping. It was just, well, the beer comes out fruitier when we put it in at this time. So yeah. we're going to continue to do that. And uh, there's, it just drove all the science behind it where it's like basically the, the yeast, just to add to to what Dave said, like the yeast is um, creating this kind of biochemical reaction to turn certain aromatic compounds or maybe not that aromatic compounds into different or more aromatic compounds. And just an example that comes to the top of my head is um, like geraniol, which is smells like rose water. It's mm -hmm. floral, uh, you know, like coriander has a lot of geraniol or you know, hibiscus, obviously, any flowers have a lot of geraniol. Uh, biotransformation will turn that into, in some cases, uh, citronellol, which is heavy citrus. So I think, I forget who did this study. I was listening to an MBA podcast recently about a study of the rate at which geraniol was converting to citronellol. And also, like, you don't necessarily even need to use hops. Like, you could use... Uh, an ingredient that's high in geraniol and still produce citronellol through biotransformation. Um, 
but yeah, like to Dave's point, it's basically just a reaction that happens when you add certain compounds at a certain time in fermentation, or I guess it, it probably relates more closely to the yeast variety and the, the point in fermentation or the level of activity that yeast has uh, that produces. This, this isn't just home brewing <laughs> and choosing to do all, all, all grain. Well, that's how it started. I mean, it was just dudes like, oh, what if I add the hops earlier? Oh shit! Our tank ex- blew out beer all over ourselves. Um, <laughs> those are those are the lessons learned. Uh, but uh, it also produced some really awesome tropical uh, citrus forward beers that you know have became the hazy IPA, which in my mind completely changed the way people brew the style. Not not just hazy, but also West Coaster American IPA. Um, you know, like Dave's like, we're messing around with it with almost anything we make now, you know, to, to some extent. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's, I, yeah. it's cool. It's, it's, you think about the evolution of beer and beer flavor over time and the thousands of years that it's been around and nothing at this rate of speed. I mean, the, the flavors you get from, from hoppy beers today i mean they're so different and varied and diverse i mean there's a lot obviously heavy citrus but floral and and there's i guess all the stone fruits the fruity stuff it's just i mean it's amazing what has happened in the last decade for example and i think like jeff said i mean people just trying stuff maybe just out of curiosity is really what led to it i don't I don't think the science was really there, um, at least to an extent that that it caught on on a mass scale until people just started going for it. But what you're tasting now, I mean, the evolution of of the different and varied flavors and how vast they are, that's, you just think about it. I mean, Jimmy, you've been drinking beer for a lot of years. It's what you're tasting nowadays. Like you drank beer for 30 years before you were tasting all these flavors, right? <laughs> You know that that's why when I'm when I'm drinking your Modus Operandi, it's it almost tastes completely new. Yeah, and it's right. there's none of it in Modus. You know, none of there's we didn't do any of that in Modus. That's it's old school for sure. <laughs> oh yeah. Hey, you know what? we're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. Hey, I'm Jimmy Carboni. I'm the host on Beer Sessions Radio, going into 15 years with Heritage Radio Network. Support us to become a member, heritageradionetwork.org. All right, uh, we're, we've been talking about hops, old school IPA classic West Coast, and, and uh, we're just starting to talk a little bit more about Hazy, too. And um, we have Jeff from Industrial Arts and Dave from uh, Scott Bruin. Jeff, like, what's the myth? Um, it's like there's this myth now. There's always myths, myths Uh-oh. about what, what, <laughs> what makes the hazy or whatever. And you guys, way back with, you know, you guys have, have with your owner, Jeff, when you've been on the 
cusp of so many neat things. The other day I was walking around thinking, wow, how did this guy come up, decide to name a beer Amazeballs? Oh, I forgot <laughs> about Amazeballs. <laughs> and I'm only saying, because I got to give a shout out to Jeff O'Neill, because, you know, uh, the, the, the guy behind Industrial Arts was, I don't know what he did before, but at Ithaca, he made flower power. And that was suddenly, you know, in the two, 2000s, that was the best beer in New York, you know, the most interesting IPA. And then, then he went to Peekskill. And then I remember he was winning all these awards, and one was Amazeballs, <laughs> which he, I don't even remember what he made it for, a, but it was fun I as well. I think that was a Galaxy Dry Hop Pale Ale, if I'm not mistaken. But um, you won, yeah. I think, a. You want to go for that for international parallel at GABF, but yeah, I mean, uh, Jeff has been at the forefront of of hoppy beers and on the East Coast for a while. Um, I mean, start with Flower Power, uh, definitely one of my early hoppy beers, um, which I think that came out in like two thousand eight nine. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Jeff's just got Jeff's just got something. I mean, he's just his brain. Jeff's Jeff, special. I don't know. I don't try to get up and I don't try to pretend to know what's <laughs> going on up there. But there's a lot of wheels turning, a lot of different directions, and yeah. uh, you know, he. Well, the reason I'm going there is because he he just as a brewer he never misstepped. You know, I'm sure everyone tries out different things, but um, when I go now you, that you guys have been open a while, when I'm at a I don't want to say regular bar, but regular bars, they don't really have, a, you know, a, a clear beer identity. If I'm if I'm in the New York City area and I see any industrial arts on draft, I'm going to order it because it just tastes good. <laughs> and even in places where they, they, they may not put too much love into, into all the beers, the lines are clean on that one. The, it, it, it just comes out really great. And um, that's a whole new that that's a whole new category. We have a homegrown New York State brewery that that's become a go-to just because I know it's going to be good. And um, that I used I wasn't that way before because before I was seeking out the most esoteric, you know, small brewery only and I would only drink in certain places. <laughs> and uh, I, I don't know how if that's a, a talking point, but that is part of beer, you know that you guys have built the, the overall brand where if I see it, I'm going to order it. Um, I'll ask Dave about that. Dave, you're drinking the wrench, but what do you call that in, in your business or marketing that if, 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 a, if a brand's gotten to that level um, in only a few short years? Yeah, that's, that's pretty impressive. Um, I mean, there's, there's been such a proliferation of breweries, obviously, um, in the last decade or so. And, uh, and if you can say that there's a, a, a brewery that you, when you see it on tap, you know, you're ordering it. It doesn't even matter which beer it is. I mean, that's something pretty special. And I think Jeff, you should be really proud of that. And, uh, and because that's, that's something there's 9,500 other breweries trying to achieve in the United States that are never going to get there. And um, I mean, that's, that's the Holy grail. You know, if you're, especially for someone like me that's been around for a while that, that, that sells, we're not nationwide by any means, but trying to sell beer, even throughout Colorado, you know, the breweries that, that we're up against, which they're all dear friends. So 
competition, whatever you want to call it, co-opetition, um, friends, <laughs> brethren, that uh, to try and be the brewery, you know, that that is has the reputation for quality that uh, where any given consumer at any given time just sees it on tap and goes for it. That's the Holy Grail. I mean, that's everything you hope for. It's why we put as much effort as we do into, you know, like some of the, 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 the work that we do behind the beers and some of the R and D, which we didn't really used to do, you know, but since we built the particular brewery we're in now, the lab and, and our chemists and, and the effort that we, we put into that to try and be that brewery, like, like you just mentioned that industrial arts is, is, uh, I mean, that's, that's what it's all about. Um, getting people coming back for more to the point where they're, they're so into your brand and so loyal because they've never been let down. You couldn't ask for more than that. Yeah, Dave, thanks for the, the kind words and like, yeah, as a brewer, that means a lot to us, Jimmy. So we appreciate it. Um, my profit sharing check this year appreciates it as well. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, truth is like we have a pretty deep, deep uh, bench at industrial arts. Um, as you mentioned, Jeff has been brewing. I mean, shit. I think he started at like a Carl Strauss production brewery in the early nineties. Then he was at Drake's for a while and then just kind of, in, in my opinion, made Ithaca beer what it is like, uh, and arguably made the space for a Northeast IPA to be a thing with flower power. Uh, and then Mike McManus was our director of operations was the R and D brewer at Oma gang and worked a lot with Duval and Boulevard and, our head brewer, Jess Reeves, spent a bunch of years at Tired Hands and made his bones up at, uh, I always want to say Medieval Times, but that's the restaurant. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> spacing on the name, he's going to be pissed at me. Uh, it'll come to me. It's a little brewery in Syracuse that's been around forever. Uh, yeah, Medieval something, uh, yes. I'll remember it randomly in a couple minutes. But then, you know, and then, Quality is our highest priority. And the truth is we taste beers throughout the fermentation period. We did three in-process tastings today. Uh, our release protocol is very thorough. Um, and then if a beer's not up to snuff, we, we're not afraid to dump it. Uh, and that's the, that's the truth. And, you know, the best brewers in the world have to dump beer and it's just kind of, you know, setting your ego aside and, and recognizing when it's time to, to cut bait and, and let something go. So when Jimmy Carboni goes to the bar, he doesn't get a batch of wrench that may have a slight off flavor. Um, and, and, and that's really the truth. There's no, there's no real secret. We're just not really afraid to, to dump beer to, make sure our customers know that they're going to get the highest quality product that we can give. It's them. why I see it in some bars where they don't really have a commitment to craft, but the fact that they'll have industrial arts on that line means that the, the, yeah, the quality and consistency is a big part of it. And the fact that it sells um, because they, there's certain bars that don't mess around, you know, yeah. they're not picking favorites. They only pick what, what the customers are, are buying. And um, 
it just again, what I have to, I have to give you credit for that because I feel like the industry's evolved so much that um I know you guys are doing something right. I want to Dave, Dave, I want you to jump in because I know that um Jeff is drinking your beer, the Ska Modus Operandi, and you're drinking the wrench hazy. Um let, let's let's talk a little bit more about the wrench from you, your perspective. Yeah, I mean, I touched on it a little bit earlier. Um, it's got all of the attributes that I really love from a hazier style IPA. It's got, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of taste it while I'm talking. But you get like, trop- I'm just smelling it right now. And you, there's, there's, there's tropical fruit in there for sure. And it's, and it's got, I mean, it's got all those aromatics that I really enjoy that are kind of like, I don't know the right term. Not, I don't want to say refreshing, but, but yeah, sort of. I don't know if I would say the same thing. We were just having this discussion earlier today about if refreshing is a good adjective when you're talking about um, beers in the winter. Like, does anybody want to be refreshed in the winter? Is that a summer <laughs> thing? I don't know. So I don't know what I might say in the middle of winter. But right now it's like, yeah, it smells like something I really want to drink as beautiful as it is outside. This is this smells like a beer I really want to drink. But then when you actually go and taste it, I just love that there's actually a bitter backbone to it. And it's, it's not over the top by any means, but man, it's like, that's what my taste buds crave. And uh, I can't, I mean, it, it's very citra, maybe mosaic. Um, you nailed it. Yeah. And it, and it, I mean, it, those are, those, I mean, those are two hops that I love, and obviously most people do. Um, but it, it seems like it doesn't seem as complicated of, of a beer as it probably is. Uh, I would I would say there's not that many different types of hops in it, but I think, and you look at it, I mean, it's it's the perfect color to me. It's it's the perfect turbidity, like it's it's the right amount of haze. And I mean, it looks like a beer I want to drink. I smell it. It's absolutely a beer I want to drink. And then I'm completely rewarded with a little bit of a, of a bitter backbone, which, which is something that's, that I think, I think makes a a hazier beer, gives it that upper, upper edge. Our hazy IPA doesn't really have a bitter backbone. We, we sell a lot of it. It's a delicious beer, but I, I honestly, I really like this. This is, it's fantastic to me. Thanks, Dave, man. Those are kind words from a <laughs> someone who's been in the industry as long as you have. Yeah, I mean, I mean it's exciting for me to, to um, you know, it, for, for this long, it's kind of like there was, a, there was a good decade there where, you know, it was all about just making the beer as bitter as possible. And that... Oh, the bitter wars. Yeah, that rubbed me the wrong way. It really <laughs> did. The bitter wars rubbed me the wrong way. Yeah. <laughs> And now it's all about different flavors. And I mean, that's different. You're not just trying to burn somebody's face off. And that it seemed like we spent 10 years trying to burn each other's faces off until we couldn't taste a good beer anymore. You know? So, yeah, the bitter wars. I'm glad they're, leave, I'm glad leave, they're over. <laughs> I leave melting my face off to other vices. Right. <laughs> Is that what you call it, Dave? The, the, I mean... Jeff, the bitter wars. Yeah, that's, that's what, that's what it was called, thought. right? It was like, uh, what was it like, two thousand, maybe five or six to like ten? I don't know. Where people were just coming out with like, this beer is one hundred and forty IBUs. It's like <laughs> you can't even perceive. You can't. Your tongue can't perceive past eighty. 
and the, <laughs> let alone uh, actually, I don't know if you guys know the podcast Ologies. Not to, I don't know if I'm allowed to shout out other podcasts, but they had, oh, yeah, yeah. they had this whole uh, sensory episode. Um, my wife listens to it, and I don't really listen to it, but she, you know, she knows I'm into sensory, so she turned me on to it. Whereas, like, they're going over bitter. Like, bitter is actually a taste we've uh, evolved to sense basically to tell us something is poison um so it's like this weird thing <laughs> to where now we've acquired this taste to appreciate bitterness where it's really designed to tell us not to drink or eat something but uh <laughs> here we are and then people are shoving you know 100 ibu beers down our face down our throats and... so t- tannins and red wine over bitter coffee everything yeah um <laughs> But I'm glad those days wow. are over and we could just talk about a balanced bitterness. <laughs> well, it's neat. But what, so what, what is it in the wrench that gives it that little that bitter finish that, that Jeff, that uh, Dave's talking well, about? I don't see you guys when I'm on remote. I'm like, uh, I, I only think about who I last mentioned. So I'm saying Jeff all the time. Uh, <laughs> all good. We can, we can just let it roll. Um, yeah. Well, we add, uh, we use some uh, pop, like some, hop extract for a bittering addition for ranch um and just don't go too high and then we pull a very small amount of bitterness out of our well out of our well it's not really not to get too technical but it's not really a whirlpool it's our sedimentation tank which basically acts as a whirlpool uh we pre-cool most of our work hitting those late hot side addition hops so uh we're hitting those hops at about 80 c to just retain some of the aroma, the the oils, and also reduce the amount of of bitterness we get from those hops. Um, so yeah, I mean, we just we just tailored the recipe to to be a little bit bitter. I mean, like I mentioned, we're all kind of we've all kind of came up with a little bit of an old school mentality. So uh, we put that kind of spin on this on on ranch, where we're not just gonna give you a super sweet, no bitter beer um we're gonna try we're trying to make it balanced so it's drinkable and as dave said apparently refreshing um but yeah i mean we just want people to to drink it and enjoy it not like uh not like challenge it's not a challenge to put one down you know what i mean oh yeah hey let's let's we're gonna speed things up but since you each sent me uh kind of the next level up of of a similar beer so i have the wrench Jeff, you sent me Torque Wrench. Oh, yeah. The double IPA. And uh, Dave, you sent me with, with Modus Hopperandi. You guys sent me the, the double Modus Depot. Why don't you give me each a quick little summary of, of you know, all the obvious things, the alcohol, but what's different about the double IPA versus the IPA um, in each case? You know, is it they're different hop malts? Is it just... Just the alcohol content. Um, go ahead, Jeff. I'll I'll, I'll go first. I guess. Uh, yeah, torque. Um, so obviously, more alcohol means a, a bit more malt. Um, because of that, we added a like a little bit more oats than we would in a ranch, and then we also added some Vienna malt just to give it a a little bit more malt flavor to to kind of give that. Uh, malt sweetness or a perception of a double 
and then the hopping's a bit different. Uh, still use some Citra Mosaic, but uh, we also toss some some Simcoe in there. Uh, that's probably one of that's probably a house favorite hop, Simcoe. Um, so yeah, just to kind of differentiate it from from Wrench a little bit and and make that hop profile a little more complex. Uh, it's probably about I'd say roughly about half Simcoe. Um, and then Cascade Whole Cone. Uh, we use a decent amount of Whole Cone, and in all of our IPAs, we we kind of think it provides a, a good, like I like to refer to as like a good hop depth. Uh, gives a, a more floral, spicy hoppiness, and uh, just adds some depth to the to a, a typical hop profile. What what does the Simcoe do to it? First thing is, what does the Simcoe do to it? And the last thing is just, um, with the higher alcohol and using, you know, different malts to kind of round that out. Um, yeah. What do you need to do with, with the hops to, to, to make it, um, it, it, in some ways, I think, I, I always, if I'm out and I just want one drink, I'm going to get a double IPA these days. So yeah. Why do I why do I want that more than than a regular IPA? Um, you know, the so what the Simcoe is is pretty well known for its like heavy grapefruit. Um, so that kind of adds that heavy grapefruit, which is like a little more on the punchy side of citrus, which citra can be kind of I don't know, like more orange and and generic. Uh, citrus aroma and then also a little bit tropical the simcoe is like to me anyway pretty strong grapefruit and also adds a, a nice layer of, of like pine um and then we just uh add a little more bitter uh bittering extract honestly uh to kind of counteract that sweetness so there's a little more bitterness in torque wrench and then our fermentation profile slightly different with high ABV beers, uh, we go in a little cooler and let that free rise to try and uh, reduce the amount of like those higher fusel alcohol. So it's not as boozy. It's still, still drinks really smooth. Um, yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty much the, the big difference. little sneak peek into the, the, the brewish craft. And then Dave, for you, your, your end, uh, for from step up from modus to the double modus deeper, um, you can describe it in your way. Yeah, I, it's. I mean, first of all, I love that. I love the fact that Jeff, that that Simcoe's a house favorite hop for those guys. We we feature it heavily in a seasonal pale ale we have in a winter in the winter called Euphoria, and uh, it's one of my favorite hops. When I first encountered it, um, I love that hop. I think that's really the only beer that it's really a showcase in for us, but, but it's a fantastic hop, especially when you can really, when you really do get that grapefruit from it, um, it can really make a, a, a really nice beer that if you're trying to showcase a little bit of hop character, um, with the double modus, we just came out with it. Um, we just released it a couple of weeks ago. And, uh, I mean, our tagline on it is, uh, now with even more modus. And uh, that's literally what it is. It's um, it's not a true double version of modus operandi, but for the most part, all we did was up the existing ingredients 
in the regular modus operandi and it's uh it's nine percent ABV and I mean what's really weird for me and I and I need to I need to get into some more of our sensory with that and and do some more taste panels because we haven't really between traveling and just this and that and how recently we released it we haven't had a chance to sit down as a group together and really talk about you know what 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 is this beer versus you know it it its little brother and and you know what are what are we seeing here and what are we experiencing but when i had them side by side it's really weird to me but i i almost felt like the double modus was an easier drinking beer even though all we did was up everything i mean it might have a little bit I mean, at some point, you know, with hops, you start to hit that point, that point of diminishing returns, like we were talking about during the bitter wars, you know, you get over 80 IBUs and what, what are you even talking about anymore? And, uh, but so it's, it, I think there's a little bit probably of malt shining through that maybe balances it a little, a little better, but, uh, man, it's, it's such a smooth double IPA. It's bright. It's crystal clear. Um, and it's still got, you know, some caramel malts in there. So it's got color to it. And uh, and it's heavy on the sea hops. So you do get a lot of pine as well as citrus. And yeah, like I said, we, we just say now with even more modus. But uh, at, we figured at 15 years, you know, let's just make a, a double version of our of our flagship IPA. And let's see what people think. And, and if it weren't for the fact that 9% just, I, I don't feel good about drinking drinking two of those and driving home after work, it would probably be all I drank at work at the moment. You know, I'm excited about the beer and it's fantastic, <laughs> but it's definitely a, a wait till I'm home or at least within walking distance kind of beer. <laughs> uh, let's make a toast to both your IPAs. And I'm going to say that, I, yeah, I, if I'm going out this week, I'm probably going to go for a double <laughs> IPA first. <laughs> um, and thanks, John, for, for for giving us a little insight into it because um, you, you always wonder that there's a magic and a chemistry to to all the great beers. And thank you because um, I feel better, even better about why my choice is to go with double IPA because um, it it sometimes it just might it, it's more mouthfeel, and uh, I like the little higher alcohol without without having the heat of the alcohol. So. It's the same way I liked. I always liked, uh, you know, drinking a Belgian triple. Yeah. You know, a Friday night beer. I like to start with a good Belgian triple. Um, I think that you, you, you. There's things we don't usually talk about. We don't usually talk about so many brewing techniques. But um, you mentioned um, the temperatures. You, you want to take a stab at what makes a good Belgian triple uh, so drinkable, <laughs> even even though it's stronger. Yeah. I, mean, that, I always feel like. It's the same the same turf as double IPA triple for a bit. Um, obviously, it's a very yeast driven beer, um, but uh, you know triples are typically a lot of sugar, a lot of either sucrose or dextrose or candied sugar. I guess if you're being traditional and don't care about cost of goods, uh, but yeah, to me that kind of slow start to fermentation and a gradual increase in fermentation temp uh, really helps limit uh, the activity of the yeast because with a beer like a triple that has 
so many simple sugars, the yeast is just going to want to engorge themselves on that simple sugar. It's just so easy for them to eat. Like those monosaccharides as composed of the disaccharides, which are a little difficult, a little more difficult for them to chomp at. Um, so you really want to tamper down. I mean, obviously, again, this is my approach to it, but I really want to tamper down like the uh, the rate at which that happens um, and keep that yeast in check. Uh, also under pitching it to help that yeast produce some esters, as we know, like those Belgian triples are typically fruity. Those aren't from hops. Those are from yeast esters that are produced during uh, some stressful conditions for yeast. So um, just kind of keeping that fermentation tampered down so you're not producing like those higher, higher alcohols. You know, I know a lot of people maybe prefer to smell beers and smell booziness and and be like, ooh, that's boozy, but um, I want you to drink a 10% beer and think it's 5% and and not <laughs> really be able to perceive the alcohol. I want you to perceive the yeast esters. And uh, I mean, I guess in the case of a triple, pretty much just the yeast esters do most of the talking. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's kind of always been my approach, just a, a gentle fermentation to start, and a, a gradual increase in temp to, to get that yeast keep that yeast happy. All right. Well, thanks, Jeff. And then Dave, close us out. One, one, one special moment from the tales of Scott Oh, oh on the spot. Yeah. I'm interested <laughs> in this, man. <laughs> We've had a lot of special moments and uh, I can't remember very many of them due to double IPAs, but um, they were that special. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, you know, I think really when we, we made a big jump in, um, we kind of, it's been interesting because we've got our, our brewing brethren in Colorado, the left hand, uh, Bristol, Avery, Odell and Odell and New Belgium, but they're just quite a bit larger. It's almost another scale, but, but over all the years that we've all kind of a whole bunch of us opened within a year or two of each other. And I think it was really, it was really neat for, you know, 10, 15 years where we shared a lot of information. Obviously we didn't have as much access to the information that we do now. But when we got to the point in 2008 where we were able to to build our own brewery instead of kind of working our way around a, a warehouse as renters came and went and try, we were trying to grow, we finally got to build our own brewery in 2008 from the ground up on a piece of land that we purchased. And um, it, I, I think, you know, having our, having our grand opening in September of 2008 was kind of a, Cause I opened this when I was pretty young and I didn't, I didn't know anything and just, to, <laughs> I did not expect to, to make a career out of it, to be honest with you. I had no idea it would continue. And uh, when we actually built something from the ground up and, and we're a part of it, I hadn't even built a, you know, a shed in my backyard. I, I had no idea how to do anything. And that, that, that year and building this brewery and getting to the point where we opened it up and we actually like, it felt real and, and the grand, the grand opening that year, I'd say that was one of the most, probably one of the most special moments of my life. I mean, shy of course of my marriage and my child being born, but uh, it was, uh, it was something else. And um, it really changed kind of how I thought about beer and how I thought about the industry. And it made me grow up in a hurry. I was a punk ass kid 
and I didn't know or care much about anything at all. And uh, suddenly it was time to put on my big boy trousers and, and figure out how to pay for all of that. And, uh, and it was, I think I learned a lot as far as leadership and, and management and brewing beer and understanding other, other people's opinions and thinking about what other people thought, because I can't, as, as pure as I wanted to be, my own little world wasn't going to pay for that new building. And, uh, and, but the support we've had for all those years in our crazy little town and in Colorado has just been fantastic. And it, it all really like, I can define that one particular moment where, where I realized, holy shit, we bit off a lot, but it's going to be okay. Sweet, man. Listen, this is good. I'm going to keep drinking these beers and, um, but Torque Wrench and Wrench from Industrial Arts and Modus Operandi IPA and the Double Modus Deepa from uh, Scarbro. And so, Jeff and, and Dave, thanks so much for joining me here on Heritage Radio Network. Big shout out to our engineer, Armin Spengen, and uh, we'll catch you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Cheers. Thanks so much, guys. Cheers. Beer Sessions Radio is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.